praise team. I'm so grateful for you guys. We have wonderful worship leaders at this church. Give them a round of applause. Yes. Of course, we're praising the Lord, but we're just thankful for who the Lord has brought us to, to us to lead us in worship. And I tell you, they're like, I come here early. There's zero drama between these guys. They just come here, do their thing, get ready, start playing. And they, they pick songs that are purposely saturated in the truth. And I, you can hear all those songs that they play here. They just want to minister to you and encourage your heart. And uh, that one song that they were playing... Um, I, the debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. And uh, I just thought of a story, and it's it might sound silly and very pale in comparison, but I just I don't know why this thought popped into my head. But when uh, I was serving in the military, uh, we went out for lunch and we were all in our ACUs, and um, we were just all in this big gaggle of soldiers eating lunch together, and we all went up to go pay. And uh, the waitress said, no, this, this gentleman came and paid for the whole table. And there was like 10 of us. And we were just like, really? I mean, because that was probably a pretty big bill. And, of course, this is very pale in comparison. But just to think about that, like the debt that you owe, every one of you that came in here today and every one of you that are listening have a debt to pay because of your sin. And Jesus paid that for you. And there's nothing you can do to pay for that. Your tip isn't going to matter because it's not going to be sufficient. And that's, that's a hard truth for us who feel very sufficient on our own terms, and we have to realize that we're not. But praise God that he paid that debt, and now we can go live in obedience to him. And now we can just draw close to our Savior and say, Jesus, thank you for paying my debt. What do you want me to do? <laughs> so, And that's the Christian life. We make it so complicated sometimes, but uh, we just accept the payment. We accept the gift, and... Jesus, what do you want us to do? You're so great. We love you. We thank you. And uh, we just move forward. Amen. So we want to remember that as, uh, you know, some of us, we come in here, maybe we failed this week. Uh, I know that there's been times that uh, I've just sinned horribly, and I have to come in here and be reminded of how that debt was paid. And sometimes I get really frustrated. I'm like, you know what? I've been a Christian a long time. I shouldn't be doing this anymore, <laughs> or I shouldn't be messing up this way. But you know what? We do, and then he forgives us, and we just keep moving forward. We don't need to sit there wallowing in our shame and, and, and our victimhood and all these things that we try to conjure up for ourselves. And that last song, when Satan tempts us to despair. You know, Satan's going to tempt us to feel sorry for ourselves. He's going to tempt us to play the part of the victim, but we are the victor in Christ. Amen? So to all of those who do come in here and mourn, and we welcome you with our grace life welcome to all who mourn and need comfort to all who are weary and need rest to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares to all who have failed and you need strength and to all who have sinned and need a savior to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness and to whoever else will come grace life church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and we offer you welcome we offer you welcome here today and for those of you that are watching through YouTube and Facebook live we Welcome you to Grace Life, and thank you for tuning in, and we trust that you're going to be blessed today. Uh, Tommy is jumping back into the book of Romans. I really appreciate Tommy. He's working so hard to be faithful in preaching the book of Romans, and I've just been encouraged. Uh, you may not hear this from many pastors, but he's like taking a break. He's like, you know what? I just don't understand this verse, so I'm just going to wait. 
I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to study until I understand it. Because I think some of us would just be tempted to just come out here and throw something out there. Uh, but he wants to be very faithful and, and really feel that he's got a grip and a handle on what he's going to teach us because he knows the, the gravity of his job. So we thank you, Pastor Tommy, for all your hard work. You're an awesome pastor. And give him a round of applause. He's an awesome pastor. We don't need to wait for October for Pastor Appreciation Week. We can tell him now you're awesome. <laughs> and just a reminder, we do have the QR code. You can zoom in on that with your phone. It'll take you to the scripture for today and uh, take you to uh, the website where there's an option to give, and we don't pass a plate here. If you'd like to give, you can give out the back door, or there's some connect cards there if you'd like to ask a question. Uh, you can write on there your question if you'd like to talk to the pastor. And by the way, I forgot to tell you, hey, my name's Cliff. I'm one of the elders here. You know, uh, one of us would be uh, happy to talk to you if you have any questions about the church or any questions about some of the things we've talked about, about what it means to be saved. And maybe you're ready to take that next step. Um, Fifth Sunday is coming up, and we are doing uh, uh, baptisms. So I don't think it would be too late to jump onto that wagon, but that's coming up here shortly. Um, other than that, I am going to go ahead and read today's scripture. We're going to be in Romans chapter 7. We're going to start at 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do what, for I do not do what I want. <laughs> but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, within my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Thank you, Cliff, and thank you, worship team, and uh, thank you, Lord, and thank you, church. I'm so excited to be here today and to be back into uh, Romans chapter 7. Welcome back to the book of Romans. We took a break because I really wanted to pray through the passage that, that we're jumping into today and, and subsequent passages that follow. So thank you for your patience, giving me some time. We've been to a lot of places, and Matt did a tremendous job preaching last week, filling this pulpit. So I trust that you're all encouraged and you're ready to dive in together. So my name is Tommy Clayton. If I haven't met you, I'd love the privilege to do that. I know we have uh, a few guests today, and we always have some new people watching from home. So I'm going to pause, and I'm going to ask God to come and, and be with us today. This is 
This is his day. He's made it for his glory. We are his people, the, the sheep of his pasture. And we need his spirit to come and help us understand this and, and apply it and open our eyes and open our heart. So let's ask him to do that together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for another opportunity to gather together in community and, and invite your word to fill us, Lord, and to, to gain your perspective on our lives and on the world around us. I pray that we would be able to connect with you deeply today. You would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, comfort us, Lord, where we need to be comforted, challenge us, where we need to be challenged. Your spirit, pray he would bring conviction where we are living in destructive patterns of thinking and living, hurting ourselves, hurting others, grieving your spirit. Grant us repentance, Lord. Straighten us out. Uh, I pray that this passage would come alive. I would get out of the way. You would do the work that only you can do. We know there are powerful things, beautiful things, effective things in your word. Uh, They're there, Lord. We need your help to see them. May they be like that amazing rainstorm last night. Uh, Your word promises to, to be like rain. It will never return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. So accomplish your purpose today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, keep your Bibles open to that passage in chapter 7, and I'll do uh, the best job I can at, at introducing uh, this section today. J.I. Packer. How many people have heard of J.I. Packer? All right, more than a few of you. He was an incredible theologian and writer. I say was. He's even a more incredible theologian now because he's in the presence of the Lord. He, he, he passed in the glory just a few years ago, but he was known as the most influential evangelical in North America in the last century. I'd say that's quite a title. He wrote dozens of books. One of them, Knowing God, was a, a really a bestseller amongst Christian communities. You may not know this, but we just read a, the version of the Bible known as the ESV, the English Standard Version, and he was the general editor of that because he knew Greek, he knew Hebrew, he understood grammar, he understood the stylistic information you need to translate uh, Hebrew, Greek, and some Aramaic into a modern English translation that's faithful to those languages. It's not an easy task. He was an incredible scholar and writer and and preacher too. But J.I. Packer did not start off in a good place when he became a Christian at the age of 18. He got saved and he got himself wrapped up in a group of misguided Christians. I don't, I don't, I know we throw the word cult around a lot. I think these Christians were very zealous and they were also very misguided. Um, You may not know what this term means, but they held to a pietistic version of the Christian faith. It was called Keswick Theology. It was uh, let go and let God. You reach this higher plane of victorious Christian living where you actually no longer sin. So you can imagine, you're a brand new convert, you're 18 years old, you just meet Jesus Christ, and the group of people that are training you, forming you, making a disciple out of you, teach you that you can reach a higher plane of Christian living where you no longer sin in word, thought, or deed. No sins of omission, no sins of commission. You're doing everything you're supposed to do. You're abstaining from everything that you're supposed to abstain from. They actually believe that there were first class and second class Christians. The first class Christians are the truly spiritual ones. They are victorious in temptation. They have assurance. They have joy throughout trials. And the second class Christians, not so much. They're carnal, they're weak, they're defeated. They haven't fully surrendered their lives to Jesus yet. They're the B team. They're a C-grade Christian. 
so the problem is second class Christians need to become first class Christians. Well, J.I. Packer was a very, very introspective young man, and that tore him to pieces. He searched within. He was looking for this constant inner joy and peace and victory that he was supposed to have as a Christian, but he didn't find it, he didn't have it, and he couldn't give it. This is what he wrote. He said, I did not get on well at all. I scraped my inside, figuratively speaking, to find things to yield to the Lord so as to make consecration complete. And I worked hard to let go and let God when, tempt when temptation made its presence felt. At that time, he says, I did not know that Harry Ironside, pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, once drove himself into a full-scale mental breakdown through trying to find the secret that I was trying to find in the way that I was trying to find it. Nor did I then conclude, as I have concluded since, that the higher Christian life, as I was conceiving it, is an unreality, a will-o'-the-wisp, which no one has ever laid hold of at all. He says, I took it for granted, as one tends to do at such times, that my peers had no problems at all here. Plainly, these cheerful Christians must all have mastered the technique of victory over sin, he says. And I was the only one struggling. So he's talking about this crushing, devastating, hopeless uh, view of the Christian life called perfectionism. Now, now, just imagine, this was way back when. There was no YouTube, there were no celebrity pastors to go consult, no study Bibles. Unless you had money and, and, and were in the know, you didn't know which books to read. So he did what anybody would have done. He, he went to his pastor for help and for counseling. And his pastor told him, brother, let go and let God. You are not fully yielded yet. You haven't laid it all on the altar yet to God. So that made Packer even more discouraged, more introspective, because he thought, but I, I do believe, and I, I think I have yielded, at least I think I have. So that poor, misguided pastoral counseling turned Packer into an introspective train wreck. He confesses that he actually contemplated suicide because he grew so discouraged. And it was then, through the providence of God, that a retired pastor donated his entire library to this group of Christians at Oxford, where Packer was going to school. And Packer was very nosy about books, and he was very curious, and he was a nerd. <laughs> he read everything he could get his hands on. And so he dug through those works of John Owen, 17 volumes, and he pulled out volume 6, which is on sin and temptation. And he read a, a chapter in that work called Indwelling Sin, and he says that it actually saved his life. It literally, he says, saved his life. How? Well, that book was actually based on this passage in Romans chapter 7. And Packer never knew this passage was in the Bible. And he had certainly never encountered any of its teaching at the church he went to. So why is this, why is this section in Romans chapter 7 that we're going to look at today so powerful? How did it rescue Packer? How did it encourage Packer? And maybe how can it rescue some of you who are out there and you're, you're wallowing in your sin and you feel defeated, you feel carnal, you know God has something better for you, and you also feel alone, that nobody else in the world has ever experienced anything like this. Well, did it teach J.I. Packer to just make peace with his sin, that God's okay with this, God just is, is, is going to tolerate it, and actually you should even celebrate mediocrity? No, it, it taught him something much more powerful than that. Three things, actually. 
these three things rescued Packer from despair, and maybe it will rescue you too. So we're going to look at them together. This is, this is our outline for today. And I, and I want to I qualify what I'm going to say uh, in this sermon. I don't think this will be the last sermon on this section. This may kind of be a 30,000-foot view. We may want to dig a little bit deeper later because there's so much here, and I don't want us to miss any of it. And I also want to say this. These three points are all so critical, and I know sometimes our live stream, for whatever reason, will go out. It's rare. It's getting more and more rare. Cliff and our tech team are doing an amazing job. But when that happens, I want you to know we still record this entire service, and we post it on our website. And I'm telling you this today, not to drive traffic to our website, but to say, if you don't get this last point, I don't want you to stay where Packer stayed, okay? (laughs) So all three points of this sermon are really important. So if you have to step out for a reason and you miss it, please come back later or ask for my notes. All three of these are important. This is like a complete package deal. I don't want to separate these. So here we go. What did Packer see and what do we see? Number one, Paul's honesty. Paul's honesty. Secondly, sin's hostility. I almost called point two sin's perplexity because this is one of the only times in the Bible you hear an apostle saying, I don't understand what's going on. Let, let that... Let that sink in for a minute. Here is an inspired apostle writing under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I don't get it. I really don't understand myself. I don't understand what's taking place in my heart. Because this is what God's told me about myself. And this is my experience. What in the heck is going on in my heart? I don't know about you. That encourages me. I I feel solidarity with an inspired writer in the Bible. I feel like Paul has has. Bared, bore, <laughs> sorry, verb there, tense. He's, he's bearing his soul, and, and I feel like he's my brother, somebody that gets me, somebody that understands me. So that's the second point, sin's hostility, or you could call it rivalry or perplexity, but third, and most importantly, is our victory. Chapter 7 is not the end of Romans. Thank God it's not. It's not even halfway through yet. We're not even halfway through. This is like a threshold. We're stepping into some really deep, powerful, and exhilarating teaching here really we're stepping into what do we have that we didn't have before here's a hint the word law is used 27 times in Romans chapter 7 the word Holy Spirit is found once in Romans chapter 8 the Holy Spirit is found about 30 times but I don't want to give the thunder away for the sermon or anything so you guys just stay with me here point number one we have Paul's honesty Paul's honesty let's look at it verse 14 Chapter 7, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I bet that was hard for the Apostle Paul to write because, after all, he did write chapter 6, where he said, sin shall no longer have, what, dominion over you. Sin is no longer on the throne of your life and of your heart. You've died to sin. You're different. Something changed. Something fundamentally, supernaturally and spiritually changed in you. You died. The old you died. The old Tommy is dead. We had a funeral for him at my baptism. We said, see you later, Tommy. Don't ever come back here knocking. So I'm no longer in, the, in the, the realm or the jurisdiction of sin in the sense that it has authority and power over me. He said that in chapter 6. In fact, he even said, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. You are dead to sin, so you should consider yourself dead to sin, and, sh- and sin shall no longer have dominion over you because you've presented yourselves as a slave to a new master, Jesus. He said all of that. And then he said this, I am of the flesh, 
sold under sin. I don't understand my own actions. What's going on here? Well, this is the Apostle Paul being brutally honest, being very vulnerable with us. Don't you appreciate that? He's saying, these things are true of me spiritually, positionally. This is who I am. I am in Christ. And then he says, but here's my experience presently. Something's going on with me. I'm, 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 I'm putting sin back on the throne. I'm giving sin sway and authority and power and influence that uh, he, he's not supposed to have anymore. This is Paul being honest. This is Paul being open. And I love this. This is, this is super helpful. Let me, let me put up a, a slide here. He says, uh, I think I read verse 14 there. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Anybody in here ever thought that or ever experienced that? I do not do the things that I want. I do the very things that I hate. I have. Paul has. <laughs> Here's verse 18. Check this out. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I had the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, that's one of the hardest things that the Apostle Paul says in this chapter. And that's why I needed about four or five weeks to, to study this. Because here's Paul saying, I don't find the power within me to obey. But he just said in the last chapter that I had the power within me to obey. And he's going to say it again in chapter 8. So again, what's going on? Man, it's depending on which study Bible you read. And I know a lot of you guys do. You have study Bibles and they, they can't even agree with one another. The commentaries don't agree. In fact, I, did, I don't want to make this about me. But this was not a first for me, but this rarely happens. I say, you know what, Lord? I've read way too much on what other people think this passage means. Uh, will you please? I'm, I'm going to, you know, Martin Luther, when he was up in his tower trying to figure out Romans chapter 1, he said he pounded, I pounded on the Apostle Paul day and night until he yielded. And Paul understood what the gospel was, the good news of the gospel, that it was the righteousness that God offers and not the righteousness he demands that we get in the gospel. I felt like I was pounding on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I knew, what, I knew what Paul said. I'm just like, Holy Spirit, if you don't show me what this means, I'm not going to preach on it. I'll preach on another psalm, and then people will be like, our pastor is weird. What's going on with him? Why, are we Why is he scared of Romans 7? And I felt like I got clarity. I felt like the Holy Spirit with force opened, opened my eyes to understand uh, this passage in a new and fresh way. So today is some of what I believe God is, is, is wanting us to see here. It's the Apostle Paul's honesty. Don't you love honesty? Don't you crave honesty? Don't you want it? You want it in the Bible. Aren't you thankful the Bible didn't hide the taints of the saints? <laughs> I mean, I was reading Psalm 73 last night, and it talked about this man, Asap, who wrote 11 chapters in the Bible, and he's being brutally honest, raw, unedited, and he's saying, hey, there was a time when I was envious of wicked people. Yeah, I know. I'm the choir leader of Israel. You come to the temple, I'm leading worship up here. He says, but I was jealous of, of, of wicked people. I was angry at God. He even says at one point in that psalm, I was, I was like a beast before you, God. I was angry. I was bitter. I was resentful. I was confused. I love psalms like that. They're not all like that, but there's a lot of them that are. Psalm 88, he man the Ezraite. It's funny that a man named He-Man wrote that. If you grew up in the 80s, <laughs> it doesn't sound like He-Man wrote it if you read it. Psalm 88 ends in Hebrew literally in Hebrew it says darkness better companion to me than you God that's how it ends it seems to have no resolution those leave us unsettled 
But here's what I find encouraging. God didn't, God didn't say, I'm not going to put that prayer in my Bible because I don't, I don't want to highlight people who think that way about me and, and pray that way. It's like diary of a wimpy Christian. God left those things in there. Why? Because we need those. All Scripture is profitable for instruction, for training in righteousness, for, rebu- for rebuke. All of this is helpful. All, the, all of this is, is necessary for us. So I crave that. I crave that from the Bible. I crave it from the church. I crave it from other Christian leaders. I'm sure Packer did too. You know, the Apostle Paul was not tearing it up at nightclubs. This is a guy who had tasted miraculous powers. He raised people from the dead. He saw the resurrected living Lord on the road to Damascus. He healed people. He cast out demons. And here's the Apostle Paul saying, I'm perplexed. I'm I'm not finding the power to obey today. There's things I want to do. And he doesn't go into detail as to what that. We don't know if they were sins of omission, sins of commission. We just know that Paul is, is saying, there is a war within me. That's the title of this sermon, by the way, the war within. The scandal was not the Apostle Paul tearing it up at a nightclub. The, the scandal was in his own heart. He found division there. He found perplexity there. Paul is so brutally honest here that some people have actually made the claim And that's okay. Some of these people that I've read that have said, you know what, this passage is the Apostle Paul, and this was his pre-Christian life. This was Paul writing as an apostle uh, before he was an apostle. Uh, He wasn't saved yet because a saved person can't say those things, they would say. But but here's why I don't accept that, that interpretation and I can't accept it. It's because, number one, the Apostle Paul is, is speaking in the present tense. In fact, he changes tenses. The last few verses before this, he was speaking in the past tense, and I think he was speaking about his conversion, how there was a time when he thought he was alive, and the law came and killed him and showed him, you're a coveter, you're an idolater, you're a hopeless sinner, you need grace. But Paul here switches tenses. In verse 14, look at it. He says, in verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am, ego eimi in Greek, I am present, active tense. In fact, the Apostle Paul does something uh, really interesting here that it's hard to miss, and I think it's a mistake to ignore. He not only switches tenses, but he gets very personal. The uh, the Apostle Paul uses the personal pronoun I 25 times in this passage. Paul doesn't talk about himself very much. Who's he always talking about? Christ. I came to you, determined to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. And all of a sudden, Paul's talking about himself. He's saying, I'm this, I'm this, I'm not this, I'm not that. Paul's trying to tell us something. So I don't believe Paul is speaking in a pre-conversion tense. One of the reasons is because he says a little bit later down here, the turmoil is he delights in the law of God. He wants to obey it. He longs to, to trust Jesus with his life, but he's feeling just this, com- this compulsion, this presence within him that's resisting him. That's not the way that unbelievers talk. In fact, what does Psalm 1 say? Psalm 1 says, oh, my word. I Somebody help me. Start Psalm 1 for me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor uh, stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the ske- seat of scoffers. Um, but his delight is in what? Whose delight? The godly man. What does a godly man delight in? 
the law of the Lord. What does Paul say here? My delight is in the law of the Lord. Is, can, a, can an ungodly man or woman delight in God's law? No. Would an ungodly man or woman be dishonest and say, I'm all torn to pieces here. I want to obey, but I can't. When I got converted at 23, if you rewound the tape two years, I was not saying things like Romans 7, 14 through 20, whatever. Um, maybe that was an exception. I wasn't, that's not the way I thought. That's not the way I lived. In fact, when Paul talks about his pre-conversion life, he didn't talk that way or think that way either. He thought he was killing it. He goes, I was zealous, man. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was tearing it up. I was awesome. I was on the MVP, best Pharisee, uh, best student of a Gamaliel, three years in a row and running, you know. Now, this is Paul. Something's changed here. Something's changed here. This is Paul. He's, he's in Christ, and he is seeing this turmoil, this He's being honest about what he sees in his experience, and I find that helpful. C.S. Lewis gave the definition of a friend. It's simply somebody that says, oh, you too? (laughs) I feel like I have a friend here in the Apostle Paul, somebody that feels this turmoil. And listen, this is not the only place that Paul says this, and he's not the only apostle that talks about this indwelling sin, this ongoing war. Even though, listen, even though we have died to sin, Sin has not died to us. Sin wants back on that throne. You ever played King of the Hill as a kid? Sin wants on the top. It will resist you. It will hinder you. It will fight you. It will oppose you. Until, listen, until the day that you die. And one of the things John Owen said in his seminal work, Indwelling Sin, is be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So you can either kill, mortify, attack your sin because sin's always going to be attacking you. Like God told Cain in Genesis 4, sin is lying in wait. It's waiting for you like this wild animal. It's crouching patiently, waiting on your weakness, waiting on temptation, waiting for you to take off the armor of God that we're supposed to put on. Now, we don't reach a sinless state of perfection here, not here. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin, and we will be ultimately saved from the presence of sin and glory. But not yet. Not yet. Right now we're in a fight. The victory is, has been settled, but, but we're, we're in the skirmish war, right? With the insurgents that are still the pockets of resistance that God has empowered us that we'll see in a little bit to fight them off. So Paul's, this is not the only time he says it. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul, again, he's talking in the present tense. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners among whom I am the foremost. I am the foremost, he's saying. He's not saying, I don't even consider myself to be a saint. From now on, I'm a sinner. No, he's not saying that. That's changed. Our identity is not sinners. Our identity is we're saints. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, I'm the worst. That's how he viewed himself. I see this division within me. I see this conflict. And he was being honest there, and I appreciate that. James chapter 5, verse, verse 16. Man, that could, this could be a death knell Uh, verse to anybody who believes we reach a sinless state of perfection because James there is talking to brothers and sisters and he says confess your sin to one another that verse is in the Bible I'm glad that verse is in the Bible and I'll tell you what here's here's an application I don't even have in my notes are you confessing sin to one another are you doing that? You know, we don't confess sin to one another so we can be at peace with sin. We confess sin to one another so we can fight it together because everything we do as Christians, we do better together. We worship God better together. 
I could go off on a whole tangent on that, but I won't. I'll never finish this sermon. I will say this, though. Those, those times of honesty we crave, Sarah and I were sitting on our, our back patio uh, sometime back with a dear, sweet couple that we used to attend church with, and they're kind of in a similar season of life. Uh, they've been married about the same time that we have. They have kids, and uh, we were just chatting back there, and then somebody just took a moment to say something really brutally honest about the struggle they have. And man, our conversation went to new spiritual depths. We talked about like, hey, we're, we're, we're men. God's called us to lead our home. He's called us to lead with humility. He's calls, called us to, and empowered us to love our wives like Christ loved the church. He's called us to train up and disciple our children. And man, this is He's empowered us and equipped us to do it, and this is, this is where I'm at right now, and, and where are you guys at? And man, we ended up, it was one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had on my back porch with another married couple, and I did not leave that conversation at all high-fiving and saying, yay, man, for mediocrity. Yay, this, let's just tolerate these weaknesses in our life. No, man, we were resolved. In fact, we're going to get back together, talk more about it, read stuff together, pray, help one another. I love that. I crave that. That's why we have community groups that's especially why we have discipleship groups. You're going to hear more about that as the summer gets closer. Honesty is so important and so powerful. There was a, uh, you heard J.I. Packer's story about honesty, how that can be, leave you in a hopeless state of despair. Here's another story. There was a student from Texas who came from a church um, that taught this higher, victorious, sinless state of perfection. And he, he was on a, a mission trip, and he didn't know that the man he was on a mission trip was a world-class Greek scholar. <laughs> and he was telling this man, like, hey, I've reached this, this state of perfection. And he says, oh, you have? And he said, well, what about what the Apostle Paul says here in, in Romans chapter 7? Have you ever read that? And he said, oh, yeah, but he's, he's speaking in the past tense there. And the guy said, I beg your pardon? He said, yeah, he's speaking in the past tense. And this guy pulls out his pocket New Testament Greek <laughs> And took him to this passage and he said, my friend, like you're completely wrong here. And this is not some petty, insignificant theological debate about how many angels can fit on the head of a pen. This is, this is your life. He said, you're, you're completely wrong here. He said, Paul is, is talking in the present tense. And he said, the argument went on. This kid was like relentless. He said, finally, he acknowledged like, okay, Paul's speaking as a believer. He's not talking pre-conversion. And I want to quote him here. He says, after a lengthy discussion... I was finally able to convince him that, in fact, Paul was talking about his present condition. And so I assumed that the debate with the young man was over. And so I asked him, what do you think now about your assessment that you have reached a level of perfection? And the student said, I am sad to hear that the Apostle Paul had not reached it yet, like me. <laughs> point two. <laughs> Here's point two. Point... I know, man. This makes you want to stop for a minute and say, Lord... That's a, that can be a blind spot. You know, we all have blind spots in high places, and we need each other's help so we can tear those down so we can see more clearly. I hope that's not your blind spot. If it is, I hope this sermon eradicates it to the reality that we live in a fallen world, we live in fallen bodies, and we are works in progress. Paul said another place, not that I'm already perfected, but I'm pressing on, I'm fighting the good fight of faith, and I have all of God's resources within me to empower me and equip me to do that. So point number two is hostility. Hostility. We've already read the whole passage, but I just want to highlight a few, few verses here. After he says, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I, I hate. He says, verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. 
so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So this is, the, this is one of the texts that Owens took for his, for his book, sin that dwells within me. We have this principle, Paul is going to call it, some translations say, this law, this principle within us that's opposing us and it's indwelling sin. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. By the way, your flesh, just a quick definition, it's, it's all of you, body, mind, and soul, without Jesus. That's your flesh, okay? It's your body, mind, and soul apart from Jesus. It's, it's translated uh, sarks in Greek. It just means your, 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 your moral weaknesses in your body. He's saying, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Zip, zero, there's nothing good there apart from Jesus, so he says, for I had the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, this is really interesting. What Paul is saying, I know my true self. The question we could ask is, who, who am I then? If Paul is speaking in such divided terms and, and we can feel solidarity with him, who are we really? When we act out, when we do the things we're not supposed to do, or we abstain from the things we're supposed to do, who is that? Paul says something very amazing here. He says, it's not really me that's doing these evil things. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> I punched somebody. It wasn't me. Devil made me do it. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm recognizing this indwelling principle and the power and efficacy of it. And my moral weakness when I fall victim to it. He's saying the truest me, the real me, the most complete me is the me that's in Christ. The new Paul. The old Paul's dead. We buried him. We had a funeral for him at that baptism. He says this is not the new Paul that's doing these things. This is the old Paul. And I'm giving him power that I shouldn't be giving him. That's what Paul is saying. See, I don't believe there's any contradictions in the Bible. And if you've been coming to this church long enough... Uh, You'll probably be uncomfortable if you think the Bible is full of contradictions. I don't believe that. The Holy Spirit's perfect. He authored it. He, didn't, he inspired it. He's protected it. I do believe, however, there are multiple contradictions in our hearts, in the hearts of Christians. And I'll tell you what I mean. For example, the Bible says that the moment we trust in Christ to rescue us from our sins, we are in Christ. We are His. He is ours. We're children of God. We're adopted Full sonship, we're in God's family. But so often we live like orphans, don't we? Like we're not a child of God, like we've been ejected, we've been kicked out. We've been kicked out of his house, we don't belong to him anymore. We're chosen and we're accepted. The Bible says this about us. Paul makes some of these declarations in the New Testament. And yet, so often we, we live like we're outcasts, we're li we live like we're rejects. The Bible says we have a, a new master a kinder, more compassionate master who went so far as to give his life for us on the cross. He died for us. But sometimes, don't we, don't we return to familiar bondages and old lovers? The Bible says we have a new identity, but sometimes we don't know who we are. We feel lost. We feel alone. We feel restless. We feel confused. We go shopping for meaning, for purpose, for hope, horizontal places that we shouldn't, even though we've already been given all those things from God. We fall back into idolatry and bondage. The Bible says we, we have a new destiny. We have heaven and glory awaiting us. But so often, don't we live like this is all there is? We get materialistic. We start living in Babylon, eating it up, the pleasures, drinking it up, as if this is everything. 
We even start thinking like, you know what, it's going to be great when Jesus comes back, but there's a few things I want to do here first. Seriously, that leads to that kind of thinking. You're not thinking about heaven the right way, and you're not thinking about yourself the right way when we think those things. The Bible says we have a new power dwelling within us, the Holy Spirit, but yet so often we act out of weakness, we feel powerless. The Bible says we have assurance of God's love and forgiveness, but we get insecure, we get filled with doubt and guilt. The Bible says we've been seated together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us, but so often we live down in the darkness, down in shame, and we, we feel cursed. You guys understanding what I'm saying here? There's a bundle of contradictions within our heart at any given moment. We're blessed, but we feel cursed and despised. We have an inheritance, but we feel impoverished. We have access to God at any time, as Paul quoted up here. We can approach the throne of God with boldness, but so often we feel like we've been shut out. The Bible says we're saints, and so often we live like sinners. We're loved, we're forgiven, we're victorious, we're more than conquerors. God says so, Paul says so. It's true, so why don't we live that way? Two words are indwelling sin. That's Paul's answer to that question. It's the sin that dwells within me, and that's, that's an ongoing war, a hostility. It's like the Old Testament story of Isaac and Rebekah. You remember they prayed, she was barren. And Isaac prayed for his wife, and she became pregnant. And yet there's this turmoil going on inside her, her womb. And she cried out to God, what's going on? If everything's good and I'm at peace, why is this going on? And he said, there are two nations within you that are at war with one another. I don't know, in my mind, I often think that passage in Genesis 25 is kind of a parable about the New Testament Christian, right? Do you ever feel like there's like a Jekyll Hyde going on in you? <laughs> there's like two... two Two entities at war, opposing one another, a rivalry of sorts going on. That's what Paul's talking about. He says it even more, no uncertain terms, down here in verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Now notice, he says, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. That's the key there. It's when, you're, when you are on mission and you're living for Jesus, you're serving God. You're wanting to obey. That's when the evil most attacks you. It will lie dormant. When you're just living your life, going on about uh, your business as if God wasn't even a reality in the world, sin's going to lie dormant. But try to do something worthwhile for God. Say, it's, I'm going to read my Bible this morning. What happens? Oh, a million things happen. None of them are good. Say, you know what? I'm going to commit to pray just five minutes a day. I'm going to set my alarm. Wait for it. Wait and see what happens. Why does, why does obeying feel so hard? Why does it feel like supporting, financially supporting the work of the ministry, which everyone should? Why does that feel like you're robbing yourself? Why is that such a battle? Why do, why do our hearts often feel so cold and so distant? Why, when it comes time to witness for Jesus, why do we feel so ashamed and feel so inadequate and feel so insufficient? Man, I sense solidarity here with what the Apostle Paul is saying. And I'm thankful that he said it and that the Holy Spirit inspired it and that we have it in our Bibles and nobody yet has ripped it out. <laughs> this is a really important chapter. Why are our affections for God so cold at times, our desire for repentance so weak? This is what Owen said before we go on to the last point here. Surely, this is 
what J.I. Packer read. It really helped him. This is John Owen. Indwelling sin in believers is always ready to act. Do you want to pray, to listen to a sermon, to give money to the church, to meditate on the Bible, to engage in any duty requiring faith in God and love towards Him to do good works, to resist temptations? This troublesome, perplexing indweller will hinder you so that you cannot perfectly and completely accomplish what is good. So what he's saying is, what Paul is saying is, I have conflicting desires. So what do I most want? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that. He wants to, he wants to delight in the law of God. For a Christian, that question is settled. What we want to do, we want to obey even though the conflict is not settled. The war is, but not the battles. Chapter 6 makes it clear that we will win the war against sin. It's settled. The victory is ours. But chapter 7 is making it clear that it's not going to be without some tactical setbacks and defeats that we get there. In fact, Galatians 5.17, check this verse out. Can you guys see this? For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. This is a paraphrase of what Paul's saying in chapter 7. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's like a paraphrase. Paul's saying the same thing there that he's saying in Romans chapter 7. So guys, let's get, out of, let's get out of this section. Let's get to the end, okay? Let's get to our victory. Are you ready for it? Verses 24 and 25. All right, let's start with 23. I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. That, mean, that word wretched in, in Greek, it, it just means miserable. Miserable, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. What the apostle Paul is saying is, I'm not looking out there. Uh, Excuse me. He says, I'm not looking in here. (laughs) I'm not looking in here for full deliverance. I'm looking objectively outside to the finished work of Jesus for the deliverance of and, and, and the victory that, that I have been given because of his finished work on the cross. He's looking out there. But when he gets fully into chapter 8, he's going to show us something that, that that victory means for us. And this is where I get really excited to think about this and anticipate what God has for us in this next chapter. Because listen, Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, when he had the Last Supper with his disciples, he said something really interesting. He said, it is to your advantage and benefit if I go away. Do you guys remember that? I mean, think about this. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, in a human body, and he's with us. He's performing miracles. As long as he's around, we're good. (laughs) We're good. And Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I'm going away. And they're flipping out. They're thinking, Lord, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus is saying, have you been with me? Have you been with me so long and you haven't been listening? He's saying, you already know the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But he says, haven't you been listening to me? If I go away, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send, in Greek, the word is the paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete to come alongside, right? He says, I'm going to be sending you the Holy Spirit, and it's to your advantage that I go so that he can come. And then he says this, he says, when he comes, you will do greater things than I did through him. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) So wrap your mind around that. For Jesus to have gone away is better for us because of what that means for us. He's going to send us the Holy Spirit 
who's going to fill us, who's going to empower us, who's going to seal us, and who's going to equip us to, to kill sin. That's what Paul's going to say in the next chapter. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So all of chapter 8 is going to open up for us how we can serve the Lord, how we can fight the good fight, how we can uh, these, suffer these tactical defeats but still walk in victory. That's what chapter 8 is going to be all about. That's what he says. Knowing that we have ultimate victory, by the way, it, it changes your disposition in the fight. Yeah, I've, I've used the, the, the analogy of D-Day and, and the World War. How D-Day, uh, there, was, there was several months between when they stormed the beach at Normandy and victory was pretty much secured until the time that Germany actually surrendered. And the testimony of all those soldiers that knew what was going on was that there was a newfound strength and confidence and all the morale of all the soldiers was boosted because they knew we've won. And it's interesting to me this story about the leaders of both nations. Let me, let me tell you this story. December 1941 was a very dark time for England because the war was not going well. You remember that was before all the Allied forces came together. It was Britain, pretty much, uh, I think, and, and, and France, and they were fighting this war alone, and they were suffering pretty significant setbacks and defeats. But then, do you remember what happened? Pearl Harbor was attacked, right? And America was brought into this fight. Check this out. When Winston Churchill heard about the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, he walked into his office, and he called Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he told him, well, we are all in the same boat now. That's what Franklin Delanor Roosevelt said to Winston Churchill. He said, we are all in the same boat now. In other words, we're with you. And this is what Churchill would later write in his memoir. No American will think it wrong of me to proclaim that hearing the U.S. was on our side was the greatest joy to me. England would live. Britain would live. The rest of the war was simply proper application of overwhelming force. I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful that night. The presence of an overwhelming force. Doesn't that so capture what we have in the Holy Spirit? We have the Holy Spirit now. He's that overwhelming force. It's, it's one thing, you know, every, every Christmas we celebrate Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, right? Jesus Christ, the incarnation. God became a man. He tabernacled amongst us. God with us. That's amazing, isn't it? Holy God with sinful people. How in the world can that happen? God with us, miraculous. But you know what's even more incredible? What's even more miraculous? What's even more encouraging to me? Not just God with us, God inside us. <laughs> Think of that. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, empowering you, granting you uh, every spiritual blessing you need to fight sin and to do so in a way that gives God glory and that helps you walk in victory. In the Christian life, the Holy Spirit is that overwhelming force. So, I want to I quote one last thing that Packer said here that John Owen helped him with. Check this out. He said, John Owen taught me what it means to kill sin and how to go about it. He made clear to me the real nature of the Holy Spirit's ministry in and to the believer and of spiritual growth and progress and of faith's victory. He told me how to understand myself as a Christian and live before God in a morally and spiritually honest way without pretending to be either, excuse me, without pretending either to be what I am not or not to be what I am. J.I. Packer. 
Romans 7 ends with Paul saying, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And what Paul is asking there is what I think all of us cry out. Who's going to deliver me from this presence of sin? Who's going to set me free from this? And what's the answer to that? Is the answer like, well, I'm just going to double down. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. No. What are we looking to for our ultimate victory and hope? To Jesus Christ. To those songs that we sing. That he paid it all. As Cliff said, the debt has been paid. The war is over. (laughs) Uh, We're just between D-Day and V-Day now. And we have all the, the equipment and the resources and the power that we need. So... I pray that this encourages you. I pray that you are looking outside of yourself to Jesus. Robert Murray McShane said, for every one look at your sin that you take, take ten looks at Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the power of your word, and I pray the authority and the clarity of your word today. I pray that there's not a person in here that doesn't feel like they have solidarity with Paul that his honesty has, has touched them in a deep and a profound way, that, that this perplexity, this hostility we feel from sin, it's almost like there's a, an evil presence within us, Lord, trying to usurp our desires to do good. And, and your word brings clarity on what that is. It's the presence of indwelling sin. And I thank you that we, we've learned and, and celebrate with Paul that we ultimately have victory. You have delivered us. You are equipping us, Lord. We are not alone in our fight. We have the resources that we need, and amongst those resources are not just the Holy Spirit, but a whole group and body of people that He has saved and filled called the church. I pray that we would take advantage of that, Lord. We would use a neglected means of grace, which is one another. We would pray with one another. We would study God's Word with one another. We would confess our sin to one another, Lord, and we would ultimately look together to Jesus. And when our brothers and sisters are looking at themselves, or they're looking at the world around them, or they're looking at their flawed efforts, I pray that we would help them turn their face to Jesus Christ and look and hope in Him and Him alone. I ask all these things in in the mighty and powerful and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to do our song of reflection that we sing every Sunday at Grace Life, and that's just a time for you to sit and ponder what you've heard, to maybe open your Bible, read this passage, get honest with God the, the same way that Paul got honest with God. Maybe you've never talked the way that the Apostle Paul talked. Maybe this is your day to say, Lord, I sense the same things that Paul sensed. I sense that there's this this inner force that's resisting me and that's opposing me. And I pray that you would help me be on the path to get out of Romans 7, to get into Romans chapter 8, where we can fight sin and we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you just want to take time to go back and pray with somebody from our prayer team this morning. We would delight for the opportunity to, to do that with you. But this is your time to sit and to meditate and to pray or to come to talk to one of us. And then Matt is going to come, I think, and and close out our time with some announcements and our Grace Life Charge. Kyle. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my life thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well
our way, Father. We can say that it is well with our soul, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Tommy that just preached from your word, Lord. And I pray that we can leave here encouraged, Lord. You are our refuge in times of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. Before we go, I have just a couple of announcements for us, and then we'll say our charge. Um, first announcement is we don't have a slide for it, but we have a table out as you walk through these doors in that hallway. The Drakes have set up the table for our pregnancy center giving. 
It's running from Mother's Day up until Father's Day. You can grab a baby bottle, fill it with some loose change, some donations for us to support that ministry. It's an incredible work they do right here in our community. And we as a church want to support that as best we can in giving uh, financially to that pregnancy center. So please see that table on your way out. Also, next Sunday, every time there are five Sundays in a month, we have a special service on the fifth Sunday. And as was mentioned, there'll be baptisms. Um, We have uh, the service all together as a family, no childcare. And we just embrace all the noises and the chaos, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome. Your kids are not a, uh, a bother. They're fully welcome. Bring them on. It's, it's going to be so fun. And then we'll have a, pl- a potluck lunch after. We're bringing back the potluck, okay? And yes, yes and amen. With that, uh, we have a sign-up on our Church Center app or our website. So you can scan that QR code. And you don't have to say exactly what you're bringing, but say if you're bringing like a meat or a side dessert, that way we know everything is covered. Does that make sense? So you can, you can go on there and let us know what you're bringing so that we know we have it all covered. Also, today, May 22nd, um, next Sunday, we're not only doing baptisms, we're introducing our new members to Grace Life. So with that, we have a membership class today. For those keeping track at home, today is May 22nd, all right? That is right after the service. We will have lunch provided. It's at the Clayton's home. So Tommy, the guy who's just up here preaching, it's at his house. You can scan that QR code to get the address or just come see me or Tommy. We'll give you the address. That is, this class is open to anyone who's interested at all in becoming a member. We will share the Grace Life story, who we are. We'll have you share who you are, how you come to know Jesus. It'll be an awesome time to ask questions, to hang out, and then we could we can introduce you next week as members. Also, we have this summer our Grow classes beginning. This summer we're offering one class about the habits of grace, what it looks like to live as a Christian, really digging in on the basics of our day-to-day life, of how we fight sin, ways we can better connect with the Spirit and open up to His presence with us. It's I'm incredibly excited. It's going to be an awesome class. That'll be on Thursday nights starting June 9th. Also, if you're at all interested in hosting that class, please let me know. We do need a host home. Um, And with that, so the grow classes start June 9th. Our community groups take a break for the summer. This week will be our last week gathering as community groups. So get with your community group leader to see the details on that. Then we'll have a week off and then the grow class starting on June 9th. I think that's all the announcements I had. Yes, so please stand and we will read our charge and we will be dismissed. Let's read together. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You've been sent.